Thank you for listening to this message from Faith Builders. Pastors Philip and Michelle Still are dedicated to building your faith and framing your world by the Word of God. There are many more resources available on our website, www.buildfaith.net, where you can find links to our audio and video archives. We also invite you to join us online for our live stream services. Remember to build your faith and frame your world by the Word of God. Praise God. Today we are continuing in a flow of understanding that the Lord's been working on us with concerning being in agreement with God. And so Amos chapter 3 is where I want to return to today. This has been our foundation scripture, and it's a simple question, but it's a valid question. Can two walk together except they be agreed? Amos 3 verse 3. Can two walk together except they be agreed? Hallelujah. We want to walk the plan that God has for us. And we want to walk the design of that plan, the details. And we have a key here to that accuracy in our life is that there has to be agreement. If we can walk together with God, it is going to require agreement. And God is not going to change his viewpoint or his understanding or his knowledge to match ours. Instead, we are going to adjust whatever thoughts, perceptions, opinions, viewpoints that we may have to match his. And so when it comes to what God thinks, we have to have it in a place of priority. We have to have God's thoughts in a set-apart position in our life. We can't put God's thoughts down on the same level with man's opinions. We can't put God's perceptions on the same place with what uh, any, any uh, nation or culture has as its perception. God has a set-apart position, and so we come to the Word as with an acknowledgement that God is always right. God is always right. And if I find it in the Word, if you, if you condition yourself to say, when I find it in the Word, I will adjust myself to fit what I see in the Word of God. That is safe. That is safe. But for people to come to the Word and and decide which parts of it they want to accept and which parts they don't think are are valid anymore those people are unsafe in their walk and they're going to have difficulty and you even have people who are are uh, have accepted Jesus as lord but they don't agree with everything in his word for instance i remember brother hagen saying that he uh he had encountered people who said they had accepted Jesus as Lord and they believed that Jesus would uh, cleanse them of their sin, but they didn't believe Jesus would heal everybody today. And so they had, they had set that side of the word, they had set that portion of the word aside and decided that they don't agree with that. They don't agree with it. And so because they didn't agree with it, guess what happened? It never worked for them. It didn't prosper. It didn't, it didn't benefit them because they didn't come into agreement. So that aspect of God's plan for their life was not experienced because they chose not to agree with it. Not because God was withholding it, but for us to receive anything from God, we believing it, is a requirement. That's why Romans 10 says that if any man believe in his heart that God has raised Jesus from the dead and confess with his mouth that Jesus is Lord, he shall be saved. For with the heart man believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Without the believing of the heart, there is no receiving of that provision. And so agreeing with God is is on a, a foundational level, it is taking what God's Word says as a higher priority in over every other thing that speaks to me in my life. The Word of God is higher than 
uh, other people's opinions, higher than cultural opinions, higher than governmental opinions. It is higher than what my senses say. If, if my emotions tell me one thing, but the Word of God tells me another, the Word of God has a higher authority than what my emotions or my feelings may say. And this is learning how to walk with God. And so God said in Isaiah 48 that he said, I am the Lord, verse 17, I am the Lord who teaches you to profit. I am the Lord who teaches you to profit. Everything God teaches us is going to bring profit in our life. I am the Lord who teaches you to profit, and I am the Lord who leads you in the way that you should go. So there are things that we need to learn that will profit us that we will not be able to access outside of God. He, it's, he needs to teach us these things for us to have the profit, the progress, the advancement that He has designed for our lives. There, it requires us learning some things. We have not yet arrived, none of us. None of us. Some of us are far from where we once were. Thank you, Jesus. But none of us have arrived at the point that we don't need to learn anything more about God. There are things that he wants to teach us, and it says he leads us in the way. There is a way. God is not making this up as you go along. God has prearranged and made paths ready, Ephesians 2.10 in the Amplified says. He said, taking the paths that he prepared ahead of time, prearranged and made ready for you the good life. So there are destinies. It even says in the book of Psalms that while we were still in our mother's womb, God had already written out the books of our life. Amen. He had already planned and purposed and established what he desires for our life. But not everybody is in the fullness of what God desires for their life. Uh, there are a lot of people who love God, but they're not in the fullness of what He desires. They might be in a portion of what He desires. I'm not saying everybody, but I'm saying there are a lot of people, but because they have not yet come into agreement with God, they can't receive it. So... Our agreement is something that we bring. We have to work on it. We have to check ourselves and investigate ourselves and examine ourselves to find out, am I in faith? Am I agreeing with God? Is there any place that I have, have separated myself from something God has said about my life? Is there any area that I have, have uh, pulled back or withdrawn my faith from it? And I'm, I'm using words that we found out in a previous lesson are definitions for the word doubt. The word doubt means to withdraw from. It means to separate from. And that's what Peter did when Peter was walking on the water, but he began to look at the wind and the waves. He saw the wind, which we know he didn't see the wind. He saw what the wind was doing. And some people look at their lives and they let the circumstances and the situation separate them from what the word said. And they let their feelings and their emotions and they're letting the, the natural outside evidences cause them to withdraw from what they once believed. And we can avoid that. If we purpose in our heart to keep ourselves in agreement with God, I am not going to separate from what God has spoken. I am not going to withdraw my faith from what God has declared about my life. So Isaiah 53, I want to look back at this one. I'm, I'm still touching some foundational scriptures, but I've kind of uh, uh, didn't as much in the last couple of lessons along this line bring out what we find in Isaiah 53.1. We have two more questions. The first question we asked was, can two walk together except they be agreed? And now we have two other questions. Isaiah 53.1 says, who has believed our report? Who has believed our report? And then it's followed by a second question, and to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed. And they're connected. They're connected. Who has believed the report? 
And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? Well, the arm of the Lord is representing his strength, his salvation, his rescue, his workings. When it says he stretched forth his mighty right hand, his right arm to bring them out, he made bare his holy arm, referring to Jesus being the redemption of our lives. And so he said, to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? It's to the person who believes the report. God can't reveal his arm if there's no believing of the report. The ones who believe the report of the Lord, I believe God. They are the ones who receive the arm of the Lord revealed. And so, so the Apostle Paul was on a ship that had taken uh, a cruise, taken a, a voyage against the will of God, against the instruction of God. And it wasn't Paul's fault because he went to the captain and he said, the Lord has warned me, the Spirit of the Lord has spoken to me that it's dangerous for us to sail. But they did not have any honor for the man of God or for his word. And so they set sail anyway. They went by what looked good in the natural evidences. And they said, it looks good to us and the wind is blowing right for us. And so we're going to set sail anyway. And they found themselves in the middle of a hurricane force winds that lasted and lasted and lasted and lasted. And everything they did in the natural couldn't change the, the hurricane. They threw all their, their luggage and their, their cargo overboard. They threw all their food overboard. They're fasting. They're praying. They're, they're, they're trying to change it. And, and it even went so far as to take all the riggings of the ship and throw them overboard. Well, if the wind dies now, what are y'all going to do? You're dead in the water. You can't even move now. You've thrown all the sails and all the ropes and everything over. And they were desperate. And all of their desperation didn't change anything. But Paul, thank God for the man of God. Thank God for the man of God. Nobody else was making contact with answers except for Paul. Paul gets in the presence of God and an angel came and delivered a message from God and he stands up in the midst of all of these other people on the ship who are desperate and frantic and hysterical and saddened and he said, be of good cheer. Be of good cheer. The wind hasn't slowed down. The storm hasn't ceased. It hasn't waned any. It didn't. He's not telling them be of good cheer because, look, the winds are lessening. He's not saying be of good cheer because, look, the sun's coming out and the clouds are moving away. He's not saying there's any evidence for good cheer other than I believe God. He said an angel of God the God who I belong to, the God I serve, the angel of my God stood beside me tonight and he told me none of us will die. The ship will fall apart. Why? Because they ignored the exact direction of God. He said the ship will fall apart. We will lose the ship, but God has given me all of the people. They, at that point, had an option to agree with what Paul is saying. They didn't see the angel. They didn't hear the angel's voice. They don't see any natural evidence that the storm has changed. And if they look around, they have lost all hope even if the winds die down. Right? There's no food left. There's no, no riggings on the ship left. We have exhausted all of our, we've been up, we don't have any sleep. Can you imagine the condition of these people? But they have a choice to make. To whom is the arm of the Lord going to be revealed? Who is going to see the salvation? You know, at that point, okay, I'm going to take what he says. I know none of y'all have listened to him yet. But he's the only one, if, if I, without... What he's saying, the only hope I have is shark bait. But he says that God said. And they believed the report 
of Paul. Paul said, I believe God. And they all got on with him. Yeah, me too. I believe God too. I believe God. Now there's a lifeline. That was their lifeline. God brought them a word to believe. What would have happened to that woman who was making her last cake for her and her son and they were going to die? There was no hope. There was no evidence. There was no rain in sight. She did not have any, anything even if the rain came. It's going to be a whole harvest season before any food comes up. She's making the very last of her meal into a cake and her and her child are going to die. But the man of God comes walking by and asks her for a drink of water. And when she responded correctly to that, that request, he said, go ahead and bring me a, a, a cake. And she said, I'm, gonna, I'm eating my last cake. My son and I, we are going to eat this last cake and we are going to die. He said, bring me one first. Uh, excuse me, man, I, got, I don't think you heard me. I said I've got one. I got enough for one. And I just want you all to know that it probably wasn't the most tantalizing, tasty cake. Because if y'all have ever made anything with flour, when you get down to the last of the flour in the bottom of, and the last of the oil in the bottom of the oil, it's not always pretty. He says, you bring me one first. He wasn't trying to take her last. He was trying to give her more. She had an option. She had an option. To whose report am I going to believe? He says, bring me one first. That means he's telling me I'm going to have another one. If there's a first, there's a second. If it's the last, there's no second. If it's the last, there's, I'm calling it last. He's calling it first. He just renamed my cake. I called it my last cake, and he called it my first cake. He just renamed it. Why? Because it was her last until she saw If she had eaten it, it would have been her last. Why? If she would not have honored and, and believed the report, if she would have eaten the last, it would have been the last. But we're just going to rename it, and instead of that being last, make it first, and when it got sown, it got multiplied. Because she believed the report. And we see in the New Testament, Jesus referring to that situation and said that, God sent that man of God to that woman. She had an option to believe and act on what he said or refuse to believe and not act on it. How can two walk together except they be in agreement? When God says something, even when it doesn't look rational, We've got to believe God because it's His Word. We've got to take God's Word over our feelings. We've got to take God's Word over what the limitations say. We've got to take God's Word over what the circumstance says. The circumstance said something to Peter, and Peter listened to the circumstance and separated from the Word. The circumstance spoke to Peter. He says he looked at the wind and the waves. In that looking, he was receiving information he should not have received. He was receiving information that negated the information that Jesus released when he said, Come. So we've got to guard the word in our heart so that we don't separate from it. We've got to guard the word in our heart so that the situation doesn't try to cause us to withdraw from the word. So God says in 1 Peter 2, 24, by his stripes you were healed. So his report says that. What do I do? I believe that. His report says in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, he became poor so that we could be made rich. His report says he has blessed me with all spiritual blessings, Ephesians 1, 3. 
His report says he has given me all things that pertain to life. 2 Peter 1.3 So that report, then I need to establish that. And I need to talk and act in line with that. So I can't go to God and say, you haven't given me. Like Abraham Abram, before God changed his name, he said, what will you give me seeing I go childless? God said, you have not yet believed my report. My report is that you are the father of many nations, that I have blessed you, and in you all nations of the world will be blessed. That's my report. But Abraham was talking contrary to that report. He was talking against it. He was saying, I go childless. God said, who said you go childless? I didn't say you go childless, childless. I didn't say that. And so he received a promise at 75. But he didn't have manifestation of that promise till he was 99. He was 75 when the promise was spoken to him. But the manifestation came when he was 99. And I present to you, uh, he wasn't waiting on God. It did not take God 24 years to bring the manifestation of that promise. It took 24 years for God to teach Abram faith. Because within a nine-month span of him getting in line with the Word, of him getting in line with what God said about him, because in Genesis 15, he says, I go childless. But in Genesis uh, uh, 17, God changes his name. So now God has given him the stars of the sky to look at and said, so shall your seed be. And now he changes his name and God says, I'm changing your name to father of many nations. So if you're going to agree with me, every person you meet, you're going to identify yourself differently than you've identified yourself previously. Instead of coming to people and say, hey, I'm Abram. Now, I want to reintroduce myself to you. My name is Abraham. And they knew that he was saying, my name is father of many nations. And he was, he was in his late 90s calling himself father of many nations. Father of many nations. Father of many nations. But within the time of life, he has the manifestation. Why? Because he finally got an agreement with God. He finally got in agreement with God. And that's what we want to say is, Lord, you have given me all things that pertain to life. You have blessed me with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places. So I'm not the unblessed looking for a blessing. I am blessed with all spiritual blessings. And that's what I'm going to say. I believe God. And your circumstance says, you're not blessed. Blessed. I remember there was a time in our life that when my husband would go up and pray, there was an altar bench in the church where he was the assistant pastor, and he would go up and pray with the brethren at the altar. And I would tell him, don't kneel at the altar. Can you squat? Can you squat down there next to him like this? Because every time you kneel, we see the holes in the bottom of your shoes. But with the holes in the bottom of his shoes, he had to start agreeing with God and saying, I am blessed. I can't can't let the holes in the bottom of my shoes tell me I'm not blessed. I'm blessed even though I have the holes in the bottom of my shoes. I'm blessed even though my car was being held together with Christian bumper stickers. I'm blessed regardless of the circumstance and the situation because the Word says I'm blessed. So I say I'm blessed. I agree with God. I'm not agreeing with what it looks like. I'm not agreeing with what's in the account. I'm not agreeing here. It doesn't cost anything just to agree with God. I mean, they're not going, you're not going to get charged or fined for agreeing with God. And agreeing with God will help change the circumstance. He has blessed me with all spiritual blessings. Of his fullness I have received, John chapter 1. Amen? 
He has given me all things that pertain unto life. God always causes me to triumph. I am the head and not the tail. I am above and not beneath. I am always going over and never going under. He increases me more and more. He is the lifter of my head. You don't have to feel any of those things to say them. You don't have to feel it to believe it. Your feelers will get in line with your believing if you'll just be continuing in the believing. If you'll believe it and speak it, your feelings will come in line with it. Your circumstance will come in line with it. Your situation will come in line with it. But it's going to require the connection of your faith. We've got to agree with God, and faith is how we unite with the Word of God. So I want to look in the book of Numbers, chapter 13, and I want, to, I want us to learn from their mistakes. That's the great thing that we have in the Old Testament is that we don't have to make the same mistakes because we can see where they missed it, and we can self-correct. Hallelujah. Numbers 13, and let's look at verse 27. Now, they're, they're bringing back a report of the land that God said was good. What, we, we, we have the understanding of what God said about this land. God said it was a good land. God said it was a land that flowed with milk and honey. So God already talked, and you know, a land that flows with milk and honey represents there is enough vegetation for all of our livestock. How many people came out of Egypt? Three million people, right? With all their cattle, because their cattle didn't die when the plagues came, right? God brought them out with all their cattle. They said, we're not leaving a hoof behind. We're bringing all of our goods with us. So they came out with all their cattle. They need somewhere to be able to, to uh, grow. All of these three million people need, need land. They need for agriculture. And flowing with milk means there's plenty of grass for all my cows. Flowing with honey means there's enough vegetation so that I can grow my gardens thick and, and, and vibrant. Why? Because there's enough bees to pollinate all of our gardens. It's flowing with milk and honey means there's enough for us to prosper here. God, that's what God said about it. But they came back with a report that was not in line with God's report. Who will believe our report? To that person, the arm of the Lord will be revealed. They came back and they said, look in verse 27, they told him and said, we came into the land where you sent us and surely it flows with milk and honey. And here is the evidence. I have fruit. I have, we brought back evidence that it does. It was one cluster of grapes that took two men to carry. They put a stick on this to, to carry it. I don't know if they carried it in between them or if they drug it behind them with those two sticks, but it says that it was one cluster that took two men to drag it back to, to camp. They have evidence that it is everything God said that it was, but verse 28 is our disagreement. Nevertheless, nevertheless means it doesn't matter anything I just said. Y'all just ignore what I just said. Nevertheless, nevertheless, cancels out. This is the evidence that it is everything God said it is. But even, even so, even, it, even though we have the evidence, even though it is what God said, that's not important is what nevertheless means. That's what nevertheless is doing to their report. It just set aside the report of the Lord. It just separated these people from the report of the Lord. Nevertheless, the people be strong that dwell in the land. 
The cities are walled and very great. And moreover, we saw the children of Anak there. Now, I want to tell you something. God never instructed them to investigate any of that, but Moses did. God never told them to look for trouble, but Moses. Now, y'all, Moses will have mercy on Moses because he had been under scrutiny every step of the way. Every, every step of everything he had done, I mean, they criticized his wife. They criticized his judgments. They criticized and said, is he the only one that can hear from God? And then the, he would bring water out of a rock, and, and they would say, God brought us out here to die. So, so I have mercy on Moses, but Moses asked them to look for something God never told them to look for. Moses told, the, told them to ask. He said, you go in there and see if the cities be walled. But God never told them to look for the, if the cities were walled. He never told them to look for those things. But they came back and they said, the people be strong. The cities are walled and very great. And moreover, we saw the children of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the south, and the, the Hittites and the Jebusites and the Amorites dwell in the mountains, and the Canaanites dwell by the sea and by the coast of Jordan. And Caleb stilled the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and possess it, for we are well able to overcome it. We have found somebody who agrees with the report of the Lord. We've got one person. We're going to see here that Joshua makes it too. We've got Joshua and Caleb, the only people in the entire camp who agree with the report of the Lord. He says, we are well able to overcome it. But the men that went up with him said, we be not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we. And they brought up an evil report of the land which they had searched unto the children of Israel, saying, The land through which we have gone to search it is a land that eats up the inhabitants thereof. Did God say that about the land? God didn't say that. That is in, in direct opposition. That is in opposition to what God said about this land. It said, this is a land that eats up the inhabitants thereof, and all the people that we saw in it are men of great stature. And there we saw the giants, the sons of Anak. There was just a handful of them. It wasn't like a whole nation of giants. And they weren't like the Jolly Green. You know, the Jolly Green giant, and he's got his little hand, and the little, the little guy standing on his hand with his corn. No, he, they were just, they were nine foot tall, right? They weren't like 25, 30 foot tall, ho, 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 hum, hum, hum. They, they were a few feet taller. And there was just a family of them, Anak's sons. Not a whole nation, not a whole army. Just, just one family. We were in our own sight as grasshoppers. And so we were in their sight. They don't know. They don't know what they were in the sight of those people. We have evidence from what Rahab said that this was not true because Rahab said, where have you been? When Joshua finally comes in and Jericho falls and Rahab, who was rescued because she made a protection for the spies that came in that time, she said, we've heard about you and we've wondered where you've been. So the fame of their God had gone on before them and prepared the hearts for the people to faint. They were not in the sight of those people as grasshoppers. In the sight of those people, those people had already heard about what God did to the Egyptians. So this wasn't true, but because they saw themselves as grasshoppers, they just automatically put that everybody else sees us as grasshoppers. In other words, we are in our own sight as insignificant. We are in our own sight as insufficient. 
and God called it an evil report. Their disagreement is an evil report. Let's look at the New Testament, Hebrews 3, and let's see what the New Testament light casts upon this disagreement with God. Because we want to always avoid it. Because we can see and learn from their mistake, we can condition our heart and set up safeguards so that we never fall into this same example of unbelief. It says in Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 18, To whom swear he that they should not enter into his rest, but to them that believed not. They believed not. Verse 19, so we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. Because of unbelief. When I first began to study this some years ago, it kind of took me by surprise that this word unbelief is called disobedience in many other translations. It's called disobedience because of their disobedience. The Spanish Bible uses disobedience. A lot of the other English translations, it says, it says their unbelief was disobedience. Because the obedience was to go in and possess the land like God said. That was the plan of God. There was a whole nation of people who did not enter into God's plan. And it wasn't God withholding it from them it was because they would never agree with him and walk into his plan. They could not enter in because they refused to believe. Not because God didn't want them to have it. They could not enter because believing is entering. Our believing is entering. Our believing is receiving. If we're not believing, we're not receiving, and it's not God's fault. The believing is how we enter into the provision of God. And, well, some people say, well, it's so hard to believe. It is so easy to believe God. Because His Word brings faith. You don't, even, you don't have to produce faith. You just have to put the word in your heart and the word will produce the faith. Here's what it takes. It takes a casting down of imaginations. It takes a renewing of the mind. It takes bringing every thought captive. Why? Because all of those things come to separate me from the believing. The believing in the, 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 the word will produce faith if I receive the word. So now it becomes a, a, a responsibility issue of guarding my heart with all diligence for out of it flow the issues of life. It becomes a responsibility issue of making sure that my ground is not thorny ground. It's not rocky ground with, with offense and being offended at the word and, I, and, and saying things like, well, it's not working. I, I thought, you know, I tried. A woman came and she said to Brother Caps, she said, uh, Brother Caps, if, if, if you, I wish you could help me. She said, every time my husband and I try to tithe, it seems like things just break down in our house. It just seems like all these things come up and, and we just have to take our tithe and use it for our needs again. And so every time we try to tithe, uh, something comes up and we can't. Can you help me? And he said, yes, ma'am. Tithing doesn't work by trying. You've got to be a tither. You don't try to tithe to see if it's going to work or not. <laughs> Tithing doesn't work by trying it. You just got to do it. You've got to settle it. You've got to just, just establish that, that boundary in your life that I tithe first and honor God and we'll deal with whatever happens with the rest. But if I don't tithe, then there's no blessing on the rest. So I, tithing is not something I'm trying to do. Amen? But see, that mindset, sometimes people say, well, I tried to believe God. Believing God isn't optional. It isn't something we can say, well, I'm going to believe God about that, but I don't believe about that. I'm just going to do it the hard way. 
No, we, we let the word produce the faith and we, we recognize our part of guarding our heart and, and renewing our mind. It says that they did not enter in because of their unbelief. I want to I point out a couple of other phrases in this chapter. Back up to verse 10. You know what, I'm going to just go ahead and I'll, I'll touch on these phrases as we read through. Let's read beginning in 6. But Christ as a son over his own house, whose house we are, if we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope firm unto the end. Is that our part? Is that our responsibility? Hold fast the confidence. When we see the word confidence, we know he's talking about believing. We're talking about faith because faith is the confidence. Faith is the certainty. Faith is the assurance. Faith is the evidence. So that confidence is a way of describing faith in operation. It says we have to hold fast for the confidence. In another place in Hebrews, in chapter 10, it says hold fast the profession of your faith because he's faithful who promised. We've got to hold it fast. So it says, we are his house, and we are holding fast our faith, the confidence and the rejoicing, firm unto the end. Wherefore, as the Holy Ghost says today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your heart. Underline that. Harden not your heart. Because that's one of the phrases that the Holy Spirit pointed out to me. He says that it's possible for people to become hardened in their hearts. We don't want our hearts to be hardened. We don't want any callousness, any areas that are, are, are calloused or dull of sensitivity. He says, harden not your hearts as in the day of provocation, in the day of temptation in the wilderness. Now he's talking about what we just read in Numbers 13. He said their hearts were hardened. It says, don't harden your hearts like they did, verse 9, when your fathers tempted me. Ooh-wee. Your fathers tempted me, proved me, and saw my works 40 years and still wouldn't believe him. Still wouldn't believe him. Do you know that's why rejoicing is so important? Because in rejoicing, what you're doing in rejoicing is you're rehearsing what God's already done for you. You're rehearsing how he kept you. You're rehearsing how he brought you out. You're rehearsing how he's led you through these years. You're rehearsing it. And as you rehearse it, it strengthens in you the faithfulness of God. It's, it reminds you. There's things that you will forget until you start rejoicing. You're like, ooh, he did do that for me. Thank you for that too, Lord. And you begin to rejoice a little bit more, and he brings to your attention how he did this. Uh, thank you for that, Lord. And, and he's stirring up. That rejoicing stirs up that remembering. That rejoicing stirs up a remembering. Hallelujah. And that remembering is important because they never did this. They, they forgot. Every, they, they should have been saying, thank you for that water you brought out of the rock. You brought water out. Y'all remember the day we were all thirsty? All of our cattle was thirsty. We were all, all parched. And there was no water in sight. But God made water for three million people come out of a rock. And it says in the New Testament that rock was Christ and it followed them around. Hallelujah. There was water for three million people out of a rock. They should have remembered that. They should have rehearsed that. The first time they got hungry, instead of saying, God, you brought us out here to die, it would have been better if we would have died uh, in, in, in Egypt where at least we had the flesh pots and we, we had the garlics and the leeks. Now, y'all, I might get excited about some things, but I'm not going back for garlics and leeks. I like my Italian food all fine, but I'm not going back to that for garlics and leeks. That's what they were remembering. The flesh pots. Flesh pots are the pans that set outside the houses of the rich Egyptians and they throw the meat they don't want into the flesh pots and give it to the slaves. 
and they were talk, they were remembering flesh pots when God made quail come up waist deep in the camp. They should have been remembering the quail. They should have said, we need to have a song about that day the quail flew up in the camp. We need to have a song about that. We need to, we need to make this, this like a, a, a song that we sing every service. Thank you for the day that the quail came to our camp. Thank you that that quail was so sweet and so moist. Thank you, Lord, for quail. You did such an awesome miracle that day. Thank you for the quail in the camp. Oh, the day that the quail came to camp. Oh, the day that the quail came to camp. Oh, the day that the quail flew up waist high in our midst. Oh, the day that the Lord brought the quail to the camp. That's what they should have been remembering. Water from the rock. He brought water from the rock. The Lord, he is so faithful. He brought water from the rock. I mean, they should have been remembering. But for 40 years... You need to impress me, God. You need to show me. They were unpersuadable. God had demonstrated his faithfulness. Manna, every day the manna, they complained about the manna. They didn't have to work for the manna. They didn't have to produce the manna. They didn't have to grow the manna. They didn't have to sow for the manna. All they had to get up and go out and provision is on the ground. Bread, bread from heaven, bread from heaven, bread from heaven. They should have been rejoicing for the bread. They wouldn't have had to eat the bread very long if they would have been rejoicing where they were with the bread. Lord, you didn't have to do it, but you did. Every day I come out and you've got bread for me. Bread from heaven, bread from heaven, bread from heaven. Oh, thank you for the bread, Lord. Thank you for the bread. Oh, get, gather up the bread, gathering in the bread. The Lord brought bread this morning. He didn't have to do it, but he did. He brought bread this morning. And the rejoicing in and recognizing, acknowledging what God has done opens you. It opens you to receive. You remember that, that leper? who came back after Jesus healed him. Jesus healed ten, and only one returned. And he returned for a specific purpose. He returned to say thank you. He came back with gratitude just, just to express his gratitude. And Jesus asked the question, where are the nine? That, shouldn't they have come back? Well, the nine were cleansed of their leprosy, but they didn't get what the one got. Jesus, when he came back, he wasn't before, but when he came back and expressed his gratitude, he got more than just what he had received initially in the cleansing. He got restoration of everything. How long had he been off work? Because of that leprosy. How long had he been separated from his family? Did he lose a hand? Did he lose a finger? Did his ear fall off? Was his nose gone? Whatever it was that was missing because of that leprosy was all put back. All restored. Because Jesus said, I make you whole. Why? Because of the gratitude. The recognition that you didn't have to do that for me, but you did. And I'm thankful for it. The children of Israel hardened their hearts. They hardened their hearts. It says, do not harden your heart. Why is that a New Testament instruction? This is one of the warnings of the book of Hebrews. Harden not your hearts. 
as in the day of provocation. Why? The same way Deuteronomy 8 says, you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is He that gives you power to get wealth. Why does He have to say, don't forget God. Don't think you did this. Don't think it just happened. Don't think you just happened to be in the right place at the right time when that door of favor opened for you. No, no, no. Always acknowledge God. Acknowledge God. You did that for me. Thank you, Lord. Why? Because the, the rational mind tends to reason out how it happened and why it happened. No, I'll tell you how it happened. God did that. God did that. So we train ourselves to continually acknowledge, God, thank you. Thank you for that. You did that for me. It didn't have to happen the way it happened, but you made it happen for me. They hardened their hearts. We don't harden our hearts. We do not harden our hearts and, and complain and look at the negative. But we look for the situation. We can look for something in every situation that we can give God thanks for. Thank you that, it ha- that you did this. When your fathers tempted me, proved me, and saw my works 40 years. Wherefore, I was grieved... We're, we're learning something about our Heavenly Father. We're learning something about His nature. He says, the way they responded to me grieved me. The way they responded to me grieved me. So can God's heart be grieved by the way people respond to Him? We never want to be that one. We don't ever have to be someone who grieves God because we just won't take him at his word. We just won't believe him. He said, I was grieved with that generation and said, they do always err in their heart. I want you to underline or circle that. Err in their heart. I never want to do that. You know, even when David missed it, God knew his heart, and God sent correction to him, and he corrected because his heart was still, oh, I'm, uh, he still had the heart after God. These people erred in their heart. They do always err in their heart, and they have not known my ways. The way to make sure that your heart stays sensitive and upright before God is honor his ways. If you honor his ways, you're honoring him. If you seek to know his ways, I don't know all of them yet. I go to the Lord and say, Lord, I want you to teach me how you would do this if you were in charge of this. I want you to teach me how how you would handle this situation if you were standing here in my shoes. Lord, I want to know your way of dealing with this. I want to know your way of looking at this. And, you know, there have been plenty of times that I've gone with my way, and when he got done, I saw it a whole different way. (laughs) I'm like, oh, yes, sir, I do see that now. Thank you for showing me. But he's such a gentleman. That he's not going to force his ways upon us. We need, he said, I'll teach you and I'll lead you, but I'm not going to force you. So he says, they erred in their heart and they have not known my ways. So I swear in my wrath, they shall not enter into my rest. Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart. New Testament. New Testament, take heed, brethren, saved men and women of God, take heed, lest there be in any of us an evil heart of unbelief. Not a sinful heart, a person who is bent on sinning, but it's saying unbelief is evil. That's how God sees it. That's how God sees it. God says unbelief is evil. I've used this example before, but if I said to my husband, please marry me, there's nothing more he can do to marry me 
Even if we restated our vows, we wouldn't be more married than we already are. So for me to constantly tell him, I wish you'd marry me. I wish you'd marry me. I'd like to be your wife. Would you please marry me? I am married to you. We've already married. Believe me. Believe the marriage certificate. Believe me. Believe. It's written right there. We're married. Believe me. No, I don't believe it because I don't feel married. I don't feel married. Tell me what does married feel like. If y'all wait until you feel married, you're in trouble. Because, <laughs> I mean, we're not, being married is not a feeling. I'm in lo- I don't feel like I'm in love. That's not marriage. Marriage was a commitment. That was a covenant we made. The love is the extra, right? The feelings of love, that, that, that fluttery feeling, all that stuff, that's extra. All the romance and everything, that's extra. But the commitment is holy. It's holy before God. And so we honor the commitment, even when there's not a whole bunch of uh, fluffies and, and uh, 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 fluttering hearts and butterflies and all that stuff, right? Hallelujah. God says they were hardened in their hearts, erring in their hearts, a heart of unbelief. He said, exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. For we are made partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence. Here we go again. Hold your faith. Stay connected to what you once believed. Don't let anything separate you from what you once believed. Today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your heart. Do you see how many times in that just one section of text, it said, harden not. They erred in their heart, heart of unbelief. Don't be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. If you hear his voice, harden not your heart. Verse 16, for some, when they had heard, did provoke, provoke God. Howbeit, not all that came out of Egypt by Moses, but with whom was he grieved forty years? Was it not with them that had sinned, whose carcasses fell in the wilderness? And to whom swore he that they should not enter into his rest, but to them that believed not? So we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. The conversation hasn't stopped. Let us therefore fear, respect, honor, hold in great esteem, lest a promise being left us of entering into his rest, any of you should seem to come short of it. For unto us was the gospel preached as well as unto them, but the word preached did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. They heard the word preached. The word preached. Did Abraham have the word preached to him? Did God say, I'm making you a father of many nations. I'm blessing you, and through you, all the nations of the world are going to be blessed. But he had to mix that with faith. So shall my seed be. So shall my seed be. He had to mix his faith. He had the choice to believe or not to believe. And they had the same choice, and we have the same choice every day to believe God. So we know how to fix the multiplication or or the multiple choice answer, right? We always choose the one that says, I believe God. If there's a multiple choice response in your situation, you, you determine, I've only got one response in this situation. I believe God. What, what sayeth the scripture? That's how Paul liked to respond. What sayeth the scripture? That's what I believe. That's what I'm going with. Don't, not because I feel it, not because I have any natural evidence, but because God said it. And because God said it, I'm walking with him. I'm on his path. He's already prepared this path. And so he, he's already got the insight and the intel. I believe God. Father, thank you for how you bring things 
to help rescue us and put us out ahead of the situation. Father, I determine in my heart, and I pray for all of those under the sound of my voice, that they too would establish a consistent acknowledging of what you've already done. I just want you right now, just to begin right now, to think about how God has done something for you in your past. I want you to begin to remember, if, if, if you can't think of anything right now, just if you're saved here today, your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Start there. Start there. Thank you, Lord. You did not have to save me, but you did. You sent Jesus to hang on the cross, to shed his blood, to give his life, to become sin with my sin, to become cursed with the curse that was over my life, to become sick with my sicknesses, to become poor with my poverty. You did that for me, and I'm thankful for it.